I want to thank all of you for joining the leaders and I in this fast to begin the new year. A three-day fast from Friday into this morning, Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us. And in a moment, I'm going to teach about why what we did corporately is so important and so powerful. The first time I fasted was in 1987. I was 18 years old, 19 years old. Uh, no, 18. I was a freshman. I just finished my freshman year in college. And I went around to various cities rapping about Jesus. So I went to New York, Philly, Chicago. There were teams already on the ground who were doing outdoor, open-air evangelism. And I was the rapper slash preacher. And the first stop was New York City. And on July 4th, 1987, at a gathering of Christians from around the country, I received or accepted my call to preach on July 4th, 1987. I'd been running from God because I didn't want to be a preacher. I had so many people telling me I was going to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a preacher. <laughs> but on that day, I stopped running and I surrendered to the Lord, and I accepted my call to preach. It was very emotional. Um, and I remember as I stepped away from the platform, because they called people forward to come and pray, if God had put something on their heart, I came because I knew God was saying, today is the day to accept your calling. And as I was leaving the platform, there was a man who began to minister to me, and I told him why I came forward. And I said to him, I sense that God is calling me to preach, and I accept that call today. This man said to me, he said, okay, when you get finished with this three-city ministry tour that you're on, go home to Maryland and pray and fast about the decision you felt God was impressing on your heart today. And he said, and after you fast, if you still feel that fire that burden, that desire to preach God's word, then I would say, you've been called to preach. So I didn't know what fasting was, but I turned my plate over. I did the best that I could, and I skipped some meals. I don't know how long I did it, but I came out of that fast, and that fire, that, that passion was still in me, and that was the first time I fasted. And what I learned about fasting was this. Many times, through a fast, God will confirm what he has already been speaking. That, that was something I learned. Sometimes, he will speak to you and show you things that you don't know through a fast. But for me, my experience has been he confirms and he strengthens me when I fast, when I'm praying about something, because here's the, the deal. The Holy Spirit, he already begins to illuminate and show you things. You know, because we, we have an anointing from God who will teach us things that no man can teach us. Earthly counselors and pastors, we have our place. But you need to make sure you don't overly depend on humans and bypass spending time with God. Because God can speak to you in such a way through his word. Things that no counselor, no pastor, no mother, no father can say. You want to hear his voice more than anyone else's voice. 
And so fasting can confirm what he's been saying to you. Now, today, we're going to look at this passage in Acts 13 because the Lord was speaking to a church. And he was even confirming things he was saying in some individuals in that church. So let's just jump in because fasting, fasting is serious. Fasting is serious and fasting works. Humble confession. Whenever I fast, it shows me how strong my flesh is. When you got to turn off the TV or stay off of the Internet or turn your plate over and your flesh is craving. But the spirit is saying we want to grow through this because man shall not live by social media alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's prioritize. Let's adjust. What's more important, these temporal things or what God is doing in the spirit? And so fasting can humble you to show you you're not as strong as you like to think you are. you looking at the clock saying, man, when can I eat or when can I do this? And, and then it makes me say, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for what you endured for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of the fast, to be tempted and tested by Satan. And you gave us a pattern of how to walk. And that is you quoted the word and you stood your ground. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness. Acts chapter 13, you got to see this with me, beginning at verse 1. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, or black, Lucius of Cyrene, which is in northern Africa, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they, the church, sent them away. Oh, I love that. I love the church at Antioch here because it's a gifted church. God is faithful to give every church what she needs. And in this particular church, God deposited very powerful teachers and preachers and prophets into this body. So they were very gifted. And this church is very gifted because God is faithful to make sure that this church has every gift of the Holy Spirit that it needs to do the assignment that God has given this church. There are not only speaking gifts in this church, but there are gifts of service and gifts of administration gifts of mercy, gifts of giving, all in this church. Everything we need, God has given this body to do what he's called us to do. Everything we have is in this church and it's in his people. So that church was gifted. But I also love the fact that this church was also diverse. Oh, man, I wish I could spend some time talking about this because this was really the prototype for Strong Tower Bible Church and other diverse congregations who have populated the earth since then. Because the first church was largely Hebrew. The first church was largely Jewish, or what we would call today homogeneous. And this church is the first multi-ethnic church we read of in Scripture. And when you see that you have Jews and Africans and Europeans in this church, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, boy. Now, now, I had to do some reading before to find out how this church even got 
as diverse as it did. And in Acts chapter 11, it talks about how the disciples, the church, they were scattered out of Jerusalem after Stephen had been stoned. Now dig this. Jesus told the first believers who were largely Jewish to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. The word nations is the Greek word ethnos. Make disciples of every ethnos or ethnic group because it's always been God's intention to bring all the families of the earth together through him and in him, and he would do that, accomplish that mission through the Jews, because back in Genesis 12, he said to Abram, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth through you. So through the Jewish people would come the Jewish Messiah to save the world. So through the Jewish people and now through the church, Jesus gives a commission, go and tell everybody. But the church in Jerusalem failed to obey the commission, the command. And so God says, okay, y'all won't go to the world? Well, I'm going to allow persecution to send y'all out into the world because you ain't going to stay up in this church in Jerusalem all day. There, there are people in the world who need to know that a Savior has been born, died, and arisen for their salvation. So the Bible says when Stephen was stoned, persecution scattered the church and the Bible says that the Jews traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but Jews only. So even though they've been scattered out into the world, they, 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 they had this thing where, uh, you're a Gentile, I'm not talking to you. Oh, here's a Jewish guy, let me tell you about the Messiah. Wow, very selective in their evangelism. Discriminatory. But verse 20 says, but some of them. But some of them, all God needs is a few people. They were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists or Greek folks, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So the church at Antioch began by the evangelism of a few people who shared the gospel with everybody. And Jews and Gentiles made up the constituency of that church the way God had always intended for it to be. So in Acts 13, we see these uh, different representatives from various ethnic groups in leadership. Because if we really want to see diversity happen in churches, there has to be diversity in leadership. Diversity with the elders, diversity with the pastors, diversity with the teachers and the leaders, diversity of people who grab the microphone. Because in order to attract different kinds of people, different kinds of people should be in leadership. But let me keep on moving. Bible says that in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said... Not only was this church gifted and diverse, that church was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They weren't afraid of the Holy Spirit. They didn't put the Spirit into a systematic box of theology. They had communion with the Holy Spirit. They depended on the Holy Spirit. And to minister to the Holy Spirit means or to minister to God so that God's spirit might speak to the church 
To minister means they worship God. So we minister to God when we worship him corporately. We minister to God when we come into church saying, first, I'm going to give to God the glory and honor that is due his name before I ask anything of and from God. Oh, that's the posture of a worshiper. A couple weeks ago when I talked about the wise men, when they appeared before Jesus, they came bearing gifts to give to Jesus. They didn't come in the house looking for something from Jesus. They came to give something to Jesus. And when we come into this house, we come first to give to God. I know we're needy. I know we're hurting. I know we're broken. I know we need something. But part of what we were singing this morning, let me decrease. It's not about me. I'm not on the throne. The world does not revolve around me. Let me lift up my eyes to the hills. I know I got help coming, but I'm first going to worship the one who made the hills and holds the world together. Because as I worship him, he'll change some things in me while I'm waiting on him to change things around me. And it won't matter if he changes the things around me because I've been in his presence where there's fullness of joy. I go into the sanctuary and he's able to give me wisdom. Oh, something happens when I come with a posture to say I'm going to give to God and not just look to receive from God. Are you growing as a worshiper? I know I'm trying to grow that way. Where I can be comfortable enough that's probably not the right word because comfort and Christian, that's part of our problem anyway. That if the Spirit says, sing that song, if the Spirit says, lift your hands, if the Spirit says, fall down on your face, if the Spirit says to that body, fast, we're going to obey. So they ministered to him. But I had to do some research on the word minister because I knew I was talking to some Christians who studied the word. And this word minister is only used three times in the New Testament Greek. It's used here for the first time in Acts, but it's used later in Hebrews chapter 10 when a priest of God would minister sacrifices to God. So this is in line with what I'm talking about. When we minister to God, we're ministering sacrifices, not animals, but praise. Because sometimes it's hard to praise God. Sometimes it's just hard. I don't feel my hands are heavy, man. I just don't feel like it. But I'm not going on feelings. I'm going on truth. And I'm going to worship him because he's worthy. And since I'm breathing, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I'm going to worship you because of who you are. I know you. You're good all the time, even though my circumstances may feel bad. So I've got to offer a sacrifice of praise because that's far better than walking around under a spirit of heaviness and discouragement. I'm going to bless the Lord at all times, even in hard times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. God is blessed by our faith. He rewards when we have faith. Oh, you're going to bless me anyhow. Oh, I got you. And I'm not sending the praises up so the blessings can come down. I'm just sending them up because you're my king. So ministering a sacrifice but I also had to do some more research on this word because over in Romans 15, 27, this same word, this unique word of ministry is used when Paul talks about how if he ministered spiritual things to the church, the church can minister physical things and financial things back to him. Watch this. So part of the worship experience was giving God their hearts in worship, but also ministering to him material things. Or an offering. Because wherever your treasure is, your heart will be there. 
So if your heart is with God, your treasure will be there. So as you worship God with the sacrifice of praise, which is spiritual, you also give him an offering, which is also a sacrifice. Now, why would this church need an offering? Because in a moment, they're about to send some people out, the first missionaries, who are going to need some money to do the missionary work. Just like when Jesus' family got the offering from the wise men, they used that money to fly or have a flight into Egypt. So when we worship God and we give him money, we're giving him money for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And you see how those two were going. They ministered to the Lord with praise and worship, but they also ministered to him by giving him financial resources. And it was up to those leaders to disseminate those resources properly. So let's go back to verse 2. They ministered to the Lord, and they fasted. What led them to fast? What led them to not only fast, but to get the word out to say, we're going to fast corporately. The leaders must have been nudged, must have been led. God must have been doing something in one or two or three of those leaders where they said, God is up to something, and I think we need to call for a corporate fast. You know, this comes out of our Hebrew tradition because we're, you know, our Christianity stems forth from Judaism. And the Jews would have corporate fasts and gatherings at various points and intervals. And so the church took those things from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and they said, we're going to fast. So they got the word out to the people at Antioch, the church there. And they showed up in the house of God together fasting. One of the hardest things to do is to lead sheep. Because sheep sometimes don't want to be led. You ain't going to tell me to fast. You ain't going to tell me how to fast. Hmm. Some of y'all say, man, I ain't fasting. Let them do that. But there are others who say, you know what? I'm a part of this house. I'm under these leaders. These leaders are in the word. They're calling for a corporate fast because we are a family. Man, my family and I had some great prayer time. Thank God for this fast. I hope you had some good time, too, with your family, praying and asking God, Lord, would you speak to us? Now, they called this corporate fast. We don't know specifically why, but I think when we look down at verses 3 and 4, we can kind of get the idea something was stirring in Paul and Barnabas. Something was stirring. God was speaking, and I believe the fast confirmed it, and the fast even confirmed it to the whole body of what the Lord was speaking to the leaders. We don't know how long this fast lasted. We don't know if they fasted for three days, five days, 40 days, we don't know, but they fasted. What we do know is that God spoke from the time of prayer and fasting. It says in verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord, that is they worshiped him and they praised him. The musicians led the, the congregation in, in just blessing God. They also gave gifts to God. The Bible says the Holy Spirit spoke. So in that corporate setting 
the Holy Spirit spoke and made something very clear to that church. Now, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So we're not out of bounds by having a corporate fast and expecting the Holy Spirit to speak. Now, in this day, we, we don't know how he spoke to the church. Was it A, a audible voice? Separate from me, Paul and Barnabas. Could have been. But here's the deal. You have prophets in that church. So the Holy Spirit probably spoke to and through one of those prophets to the body. And that prophet said, now separate to me in the name of the Lord Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I'm not here to debate whether prophets are here today or not. We won't get into that. But your boy, I do question. I won't get into that. But I won't limit God either. I know that the primary way that God speaks today is through the prophecy of Scripture. Okay? Speaks through the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers who gave us this book. So when we read this book, we hear from God. And God speaks vision to us individually and collectively to the degree that we get into this book so this book can get into us. We can't expect God to speak if we're not in the book. But a lot of people go around looking for a prophet for hire because they don't want to read the Bible. And they're kind of really looking for a fortune teller. And they're out here if you want them. Because everybody that come in Jesus' name is not coming in Jesus' name. And they'll give folk these prophecies and miracle water and all that stuff. And sheep take it because sheep can be naive. But there are shepherds who will teach people so that the people don't get fleeced by other folk. So the Holy Spirit begins to speak. And he said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them. The church sent them. Because I believe that, that something was stirring in Paul and Barnabas about taking the gospel out the way Jesus commanded. So it was based on what Jesus said. And this corporate gathering only confirmed what the Lord was saying to these two men. But they gathered the church the church joined in. The Holy Spirit spoke. So now it was a corporate movement and not just a movement of two individuals. Because these two men would need the covering of the church, the support of the church, the prayers of the church. It was a body thing. But these were just two missionaries being sent out. So what you have happened from a simple fast was Christianity changed in that moment. Because from this moment, this first missionary journey, the gospel started spreading across portions of Europe and Asia Minor. Then this led to a second missionary journey and a third missionary journey where the gospel went out. And that's why we're here today saved, knowing the Lord, because two men were part of a church that fasted and prayed and listened to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, go out. And I'm sitting here saying to the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, what can you say? What will you say to a church that has childlike faith to just trust you and say, 
if you did it before, you can do it again. What are you saying to this church for this season? What are you saying to us? Because I could easily get a nice slick slogan for 2019. Come get some green in 2019. We, we, we can do that. No, no. Here's what I believe the Lord is saying to this church. Here's what I believe. I believe he is giving us a direction. He just hasn't given us details. I believe he's giving us a burden. But he hasn't given us the logistics. He's giving us a passion that is growing. He just has not spelled out all of the particulars. But it started from the word for your pastor. Back in November of 2018, I'm preaching from Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, when John the Baptist is locked up. Let me stop and put a pause here. If you start in a ministry, a business, a family, your life in Christ, get into the word. Strong Tower got started. God spoke to me while I was in the Word. God spoke to me while I was in the Word about my wife. Get in the Word. He'll speak to you. I'm in the Word just trying to preach. And John the Baptist is ready to give up on Jesus. And Jesus says, let me verify to you who I am. Matthew chapter 11. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. Since he's wondering if I'm the Messiah. Check this out. The blind see, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That wrecked me, and is still wrecking me. Because here, Jesus is explaining himself to John, who is having a crisis moment, because he's locked up in a prison and things, as our worship leader said, they're not going the way he thought they should go. I never saw myself locked up for preaching the truth. But it was the will of God. And when you're in a prison, that's when you start doubting and wondering. When God isn't doing what you think God should do the way you think he should do it. or You start, your theology then gets tested. Well, is God listening? Is God there? Does God care? Does God know? John the Baptist, are you really the one or should I look for somebody else? Tell John, poor people are getting the gospel preached. Tell John, blind people are being given their sight. Tell John, deaf people are given their hearing. Tell John, dead people are being raised from the dead. So Jesus is saying, my ministry is quantified and defined by how I minister to the least of these in society. My ministry, the success of my ministry is not based upon thousands upon thousands of people coming to hear me speak. Matter of fact, if they come to hear me, I'm going to feed them because I know they have a need because they're hungry because it's hard to hear the word when your stomach is growling. Jesus is saying, I'm here to help hurting people. And we're doing it. We're doing it. So when we look around at trying to define ministry today, 
It's not always defined by how many campuses and people you have coming, sitting in seats. It's not defined by how much money the church has or, or what the windows in the sanctuary look like or the property where it sits or how many television shows the pastor has or how many books he's released. How, how many It's not defined by that. That stuff has its place. I'm not hating on that. But neither will I sit here and think that that's the only way to define successful ministry. God don't need a lot of people to do a great work. And pastors are like everybody else. We get the rubber neck and we look over and we start comparing. When you start comparing, it will rob you of contentment and you will begin to, again, God, are you fair? How come you haven't blessed me like that? Because I gave you one or two talents I gave them. Don't worry about what I gave them. If Jesus defines his ministry by serving the least in society, how are those who are following him supposed to define their success? He started wrecking me. Because in seminary, I wasn't taught ministry this way. I was taught how to grow a church. Again, finding value in numbers and programs that continue to minister to the church become ingrown, but not. So when I started looking at what the Lord has been doing, we got some missionaries to Haiti in this church who are fired up, who take people from this church in Haiti, and they come back on fire. I started looking at what God was doing. We had a bless fest, and we had so much fun and joy serving folks with no strings attached saying, you got to come to our church if you get this can of peas from us. We were just serving. We were just given. There was so much joy. We couldn't wait to come to church that Sunday. And then when there's a need for a van, Lord, we got to pick up children from the neighborhood. They want to come to church on Wednesday nights and, and participate in Awana. Kids who don't come here on Sunday, Lord, we need $25,000. God is saying, oh, oh, you want to help my people? Here's 25000 right here to go get a van so you can go get kids on Wednesday night and bring them into the house of the Lord. Lord, we serve these schools, and, and, and you give items and, and give money for resource trailer that goes out twice a week to various schools, helping kids who a lot of their self-esteem is wrapped up in what they wear. And so is some of ours, so don't even look down on them. And when you can give a kid a hoodie, some shoes, some clean underwear, a bag of food, and you do it discreetly and respectfully, that's it. God is like, that's, you, you, you don't have to ask me what to do. <laughs> My man Sherman used to say this to me. Uh, uh, don't ask God to bless what you're doing. Do the stuff that God is blessing. You want to find me? I'm hanging out with people who are disenfranchised, who are broken, who are poor. Because Jesus was anointed with the gospel, with the Spirit to preach the gospel 
to the poor. Luke 4, 18. He's on mission when he talks to John. I'm doing what I came here to do, preach the gospel to the poor. And a lot of us, as I heard Elder Clifton say, we don't even know any poor people. How do we change that? We do what Jesus did and incarnate. We become proximate. Because Jesus is there. Because when you've done it to the least, he said, you've done it to me. I'm the one in prison. I'm the one uh, that's uh, an immigrant. I'm the one that's sick. I'm the one that, that needs water and food and clothes. I, I'm that one. And when you do it to them, you're doing it to me. I find Jesus more experientially fulfilling in moments where I'm giving and I'm serving people who can't do anything for me back. But my flesh resists that because it's more comfortable to keep talking to Christians who got all the word but ain't applying the word that they got. And I'm wasting my time with a lot of folk. There, there are people who are lost. People on the street, they're like, man, I wish somebody would come talk to me about God. I can't get out there because I spend so much time rebandaging wounds of folk who can bandage up stuff themselves. He just started messing with me. So as I started praying, Lord, how would you have this church? What do you want us to do? He's like, keep going in this path and build on serving the poor. Galatians 2, now I know again that this ain't in lights and I don't have sparkles on this and I don't have a big poster, me and Dorena on the front. and I got some Galatians 2, 9 and 10 though. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember who? The very thing which I also was eager to do. Brother man was like, you ain't got to tell me to remember. I'm eager to remember them and minister to them. That's where leaders should be. That, that's where Christians should be, thinking about people who are less fortunate. And before we run too quickly to poor in spirit, let's just make sure we hang out a little while in poor in pocket. Don't spiritualize it. Uh, you know, that's just poor in spirit. No, these are folks that are destitute. Paul says, I'm eager, I'm ready. Unlike president of my alma mater, Jerry Falwell Jr., who in an interview last week just disrespected the poor. Made me just want to send all my degrees back, saying, man, this is a mockery. Man had the nerve to say poor people can't contribute to society, because what can poor people give? They can't give you a job. So thinking like a typical Wealthy, white, capitalistic male, evangelical. Value is centered around money. That's not what the Bible says. Paul says there ought to be wealthy and poor people coming to church. The same church. 
the wealthy people can give resources to help the poor, and the poor can give the wealthy faith. So there'll be equality. Just because I have something don't make me better than you. If I keep reading the Bible, it says that the poor have an elevated position over the rich because the rich are like grass. They'll soon pass away. But don't you put down Big Mama and them who sat on the porch rocking on the porch didn't have no money. They had a whole lot of faith. And one reason poor folk can't get rich is because rich folk keep stealing their ideas, their recipes, uh, their dances, their songs, and making money off. Of, uh, Let me give it to you. Galatians 3.28. What's God doing? Here's our vision, everybody. This is what we are. This is what he made us to be. There is neither Jew nor Greek that's speaking about race. And he's not saying you deny being Jewish or you deny being Greek. No, he made you Jewish. He made you Greek. You celebrate how he made you. But you just recognize that my ethnicity takes a back seat to my identity in Jesus Christ. That's part of my identity. But it's Jesus that gives definition to my ethnicity. So there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are one but not the same. Our oneness supersedes our differences and gives definition and meaning and celebration of our differences. We don't have to be the same to be unified. Racially. Class-wise gender-wise. So Strong Tower Bible Church has this mission, this vision rather, to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. What is God's diverse kingdom? From Galatians 3.28, is people coming together of different races, both genders in all classes. That's the vision. We want to experience this because, man, when we experience this, it's so fun. It's so good. It can be done. And there are people who, they desire this, but they don't have the courage to do it. Or they want it in a cheap way, but it costs. But how many know that when something costs you in the kingdom, the returns are greater than anything you could ever give? Black people give up something when they come to a multicultural church. White folk give up something. Native people give up something. We all give up something, but what we get is greater than anything we could ever give. Because this is what he called us to do. Antioch is beautiful. Oh, I love Antioch. But why do we keep looking like the Church of Jerusalem? All black congregation. All, and I know there are ge geographic uh, things that, well, you know, if you live in Idaho, ain't too many, much diversity out there. I get that. Or I get that. So I'm not saying every church has to be racially diverse, but if you live in a racially diverse community and your mission from Jesus is to reach out and compel them to come in, should not the church look like the community that you're a part of? Anyway, anyway, then there's class and gender. I believe God is saying it's time to expand this vision as pertains to dealing with class. Rich and poor. Not here to dog rich. God made the rich and the poor. Okay? 
But I believe God is saying, there are rich people across the street. How do we reach them? There are poor people around the corner in our families. How do we reach them? How do we touch them? How do we love them? Strong Tower, I want you to expand. I believe this is what he's been saying to me. Expand in mercy ministry to the poor. What you've been doing and all those angel trees that went out and you felt good trying to help families to have a Christmas. Because if we were in D.C., and we really don't even have to be in D.C., but it affects D.C. probably more than any other uh, city or area, when you have a massive shutdown of the government, and now people are wondering, how can I pay rent and mortgage? We just got a new house. They're taking back Christmas gifts. Question is, what's the church doing in that moment to redistribute wealth and to help folk out? But it's easy to talk about that stuff that's far removed. But what about when it hits home here? What if Centoya Brown was a member of Strong Tower? Would that change how we pray about it? What if our little seven-year-old girl was shot in a drive-by from gangbangers? Would we be down at City Hall marching? Would we be in the hood challenging folk? God is saying, I, I want this church to be more ingrained in helping people who are underserved. When my wife read Graceful last week, her book about a church with a pastor named Pastor Will, who was helping a homeless family through a shelter called uh, the House of Chin, which is the Hebrew word for favor or grace. It was like God spoke to me as my wife was reading the children's book. And I've been in the kitchen with her while she's been writing that, looking at all the proofs. But he didn't hit me till he hit me last week. He was like, what you see in that children's book, that's what I want for Strong Tower Bible Church. It was a diverse church with a handsome black pastor who was leading a group of people to help a family from Syria. Was it Syria, babe? And I said, God. I want us to keep doing stuff like that. That's where it is right there. And I'm here to tell you, the Bible says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You take care of God's people. God will take care of the people taking care of his people. We ain't got to worry about budgets, and we don't here. But you want to see something pop off? I believe he's leading us this way. So I ask you to pray with us and fast with us. And the email I sent out, I gave you just a little bit of that. I believe we're in a prophetic moment. Jesus is closer to his return. He's closer today than he was yesterday. And you need to ask yourself personally, who in my circle is hurting? Who can I help financially? Who can I give a coat, a cloak to? Who can I help with their school bill? Who can I help? Because ah, it's more blessed. I grow when I give. I shrink when I hoard. Who, who, who in our city? God, show us. I remember when Elder Clifton was working for the Homeless Commission and he had this vision. He said, Pastor, uh, I want to have a banquet for the homeless. And this is what I want to do. They're going to get haircuts. 
They're going to be able to get their license, driver's license. They're going to be able to get stuff taken off their record. Those who, who want to get married, they're going to get married. We're going to connect them with employment. We're going to do some things with housing. And he was so excited talking to me. He took me to the Bible, and he said, man, remember when Jesus, he had invited some folk to a banquet, and, and the ones who were invited didn't want to come. They were doing some other things. Jesus said, oh, okay, uh, but go out to the highways and the byways and the hedges and, and compel them to come inside to my house. And I remember going down and walking through. He, he had rented out the, uh, what was it, the municipal auditorium. It was packed with folks. But the joy and the smiles, needs were being met. People were being loved, not just in word, but in action. I want more of that. Does anybody else want some more of that? I, I want more of that. And I'm not naturally bent that way. I'm not naturally bent that way. But my worship leader said the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Christ, who was beyond being bent that way. Jesus went that way. So if that spirit that raised him from the dead is alive on me, then there should be somewhere in my life where I'm interacting with the poor and ministering to them. Not to make me feel better. Not to get a pat on my back. Not to appease some kind of guilt. But to go because I need them as much as they may need something from my hand or something from me. I'll close with Isaiah 58. The passage I asked you to read all week. Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 8. I apologize. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. When you look at that passage in the context and even with the history of Israel, they fasted a whole lot. They had a whole lot of sacred assemblies and all that stuff. But God says, your assemblies make me sick. All that worship you're doing, it makes me sick because you don't care about those in your community who are hurting. I desire mercy to those folks instead of sacrifice to me. Go and serve somebody. Help somebody. Do justice. Love mercy. Then come worship. But all this empty worship where you keep it vertical and you don't go horizontal and you don't go out to people who need the Lord, the most God says it makes me sick. So later for all this ingrown praise fests, if it don't lead to justice movements and empowerment movements, and inclusion movements. God is saying, that's what kind of fasting I want. When you can fast and connect it to people who are chained, enslaved, lost, bound, broken, blind, deaf, dead. That's why y'all are here. Because if I wanted to take you up to heaven as soon as you got born again, I'd have done that. But I left you here to occupy till I come. How do you occupy? Hang out with folks who need this good news. So Paul and Silas, Barnabas, they're sent out from the church, and they go not only giving the gospel, but meeting needs. 
Chesed. So fasting works. But fasting also works because it's going to work on some injustices and some hungry bellies and some lost kids. Oh, it works. But it also calls us to work. Today, you got off the hook. So we're going to make a trade. I took you 15 minutes over today. But let me tell you what I was going to do. Maybe we'll do it next week. I was going to have you all stand and get in circles of three and four and pray. And I know that scares some people. But don't you know we got to get over that kind of stuff? That timidness. You know, I'm just introverted. You can be introverted and pray with somebody. Because that church worship, so I had the worship team coming back. I, I'm sorry, I got all caught up in the text. I'm so sorry. But we were going to spend some time singing, worshiping, and praying. We were going to pray over our schools and our administrators and our teachers, uh, pray over those who are incarcerated, our immigrants, immigration reform was going on in, with our government. We were going to pray for the unemployed, the underemployed, people who need work, the homeless, our elderly, the sick. We were gonna, I was going to have our missionaries prayed over. We were going to pray about missions, so I, I apologize. But the good thing about the Lord, he's just not up in here. Please uh, be praying. You, you heard this passion from my heart. I don't know what God's going to show us. I don't know. It's kind of scary. It's kind of fun, too. Let's stand for prayer. Holy Spirit, speak to this church. You are speaking. I think we just need to listen. Lord, you brought some people into this body who lovingly challenged me with their hearts of mercy for handicapped folks and their hearts of mercy for Muslims, their hearts of mercy for their tribal people, their hearts of mercy for the homeless, their hearts of mercy, Lord God, for kids who, who, who need assistance and education. Lord, Lord, you brought some people into this church and into my life that I needed. There are gifts in this body. There are passions in this body. Would you show us how to mobilize. Would you show us, Lord, would, would we reject the temptation to stay ingrown, to stay comfortable? Would you show us, Lord, how to reach out? How to be present, proximate to people that our paths may not naturally cross. But you needed to go through Samaria you went to the other side of Galilee because there was a man over there had some demons on him. And you came to earth. <laughs> speak to this body. Speak to the elders. Speak to the leaders. May ideas rise up. Plans, strategies. <laughs> well, we just want to love well. I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts this week and we'll pray for what you're doing in this church as we seek to expand your diverse kingdom, especially in the area of class. What does that mean? Lord, I got men in here and women who can help with jobs partnership and who are ready and who are putting thoughts and ideas together because somebody needs gainful employment. Lord, would you connect us? Would you give us resources? Lord, we, we don't want to talk about money just so we can make the budget. Lord, we want a boatload of money so we can bless other people with things they need. I pray you would entrust us 
because you trust us that we won't put our fingers on it. Just like the story that was read today, the servant went after the riches from Naaman. And that's not what it was about. And the leprosy was transferred to that servant. Lord, you've been speaking in this body. Lord, I pray, I pray that we'll listen and obey and do it. It's not that hard to go. We just got to go. We got to do it. So cover every administrator, every missionary, every police officer, every social worker, every businessman, every businesswoman, every person in this church. And break our heart with the things that break yours and open our eyes to see the things that you see. And may we have the courage and conviction to act individually as well as corporately. Thank you for this fast. Thank you for what you showed us. We dedicate our lives, our church, and this year to you. Because if we don't do that, it's a waste. It's yours. We're yours. And Lord, I have a strange feeling that as we honor you and worship you, looking for nothing back, as we go and serve and bless and give, looking for no pat on the back, I have a strange feeling. The joy that's going to hit this house, the joy that's going to hit each life, for those who are praying about adopting children, the joy is going to hit them. Do it, oh God. Because we pray this almost every Sunday, now unto him, unto you, who is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above anything we could ever ask or imagine. It's according to the power that's working within us. To him be the glory, the majesty, the dominion, and the power, both now and forevermore. And Strong Tower Bible Church said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, man. Y'all have a wonderful day.